0: I surrender, and I'm singing it, and I'm going, but I don't essentially, you know I surrender, and yet if you look at my bank balance, you probably wouldn't think that I surrender to Jesus, and if you look at how I spend my pet's spare time, you probably wouldn't think that I surrender to Jesus, and if you saw how I can treat my wife or my friends or you know how i love people or how i don't love people or how faithful i you know and and so and it and it just stir, it actually genuinely stirs me up with angst singing those words and so much of what we sing actually genuinely stirs me up and I, and and it unsettles me and i don't know what to do about it but i've but we need to do something about it and i'm guessing that it might not just be me um so we will continue to seek to try and respond to God as he leads us in worship, in our song worship. And we will continue to try and, uh, and, and allow the Holy Spirit to use all of this time um, to, to, to teach us what it means to be disciples you know some some people would say oh well we need to do more sung worship this isn't actually part of the talk this one and this is just a little bit that I feel it's important to say but you know we need to do more sung worship because that's more important in our discipleship or we need to do more prayer because that's more important in our discipleship or if we have to get rid of anything get rid of stuff at the beginning at the end and keep space for the word because that is more important in our discipleship and what I want to say is no to all of that because it is all equally important as we seek to walk with Jesus. Uh, You know, when you look at the life of Jesus, he worshipped. He was found in the synagogues worshipping as was his custom, as was the Jewish custom of the day. But you see him spending time quietly in prayer. You see him eating with his friends. You see him spending time with three disciples and 12 disciples and 72 disciples and 5,000 people. Uh, and, And what we see is that there is no model uh, for the gathered community of God that doesn't involve all of these things in some way. And so that's what we're seeking to do. And, you, and, and it's exciting and it's challenging. Um, it was challenging this morning, kind of when are the kids going out, when aren't they going out, and all of that sort of thing. I was stood here feeling stressed. I have to, I have to confess. I was like, oh no, the sign's up and now the youth are going out and the kids are staying. Oh my goodness. Um, but anyway... We're going to keep doing this, and we'll get it right sometimes, and we'll get it wrong sometimes. If you, uh, if you, (laughs) I didn't even hear that, Lloyd, but I just, but you're an amazing guy, so God bless you. (laughs) Um, If you want to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, I'm going to read one verse from Isaiah chapter 5, and then keep your finger as well in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. So this is one verse, I'm reading Isaiah for, for myself at the moment, um, but, and I don't want to kind of bring stuff from it uh, to this time, because I don't want to, I, I want to spend time with God to spend time with God and not always thinking there has to be a sermon in it. And yet I read this verse and I thought it fitted so well with what I want us to think about this morning. It's Isaiah chapter 5, verse 8. It says this, Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. I'll read that again because it's short. Woe to you who add house to house and join field to field till no space is left and you live alone in the land. And then in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 Paul writes I appeal to you brothers in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ that all of you agree with one another so that there may be no divisions among you and that you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this, one of you says I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas, that's Peter, uh, still another I follow Christ. Is Christ divided. Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? I am thankful that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized into my name. Uh, yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. Who says the Bible isn't funny? Isn't like, it's like Paul saying, I didn't baptize anybody else, but I might have done, but I've forgotten about it. It's funny. Um, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with words of human wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. I, I probably used to talk about it too much. I don't anymore because I don't play it anymore. But, but, for, and so for those of you who are new, newer around Southside, or we have American visitors this morning, so I want to tell you something about a beautiful sport called rugby. Uh, you butchered it and turned it into American football, as we call it. Um, And yeah, the less said about that, the better. But anyway, I used to play rugby. And one of the things about rugby was it had this incredible sense of community around it. I can remember I had played um, in a junior international over in France. And the whole of the town had turned out to watch this rugby match. We were under 18s. The whole of the town had turned out to watch England under 18s against France under 18s. And then, as is also kind of the thing in some rugby circles, we went out and and we had a, a celebratory We'd lost, but it doesn't matter because then you're a rugby player. You celebrate whether you win, lose, or draw. And we were making our way back to our motel later that night. It was about midnight and and, uh, we're there. And a few of us were just getting further and further behind the party. And then suddenly this guy came up to us and he was like, were you guys playing rugby? He said it with a French accent. Were you guys playing rugby today? I was like, We? Um, and uh, and he and he was like, yeah, you. And I was like, yeah, okay. And uh, <laughs> do you like that? Uh, and 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 he said, come into my house. And so we went into this random French guy's house. And we were rugby players, so we went straight to the fridge. And uh, I can remember taking out this smelly French cheese. And another guy had a gatto. This is a true story. And then the, this guy's wife came down in her dressing gown and was like, what's going on? And we're like, oh, we're the England rugby players. And she was like, oh, come in, come in. And And and, and the reason I tell that story is we were complete and utter strangers in this family, in, in this town. We were actually the enemy in this town. We were the ones who a few hours earlier they'd been like cheering our Leila Blue and all of that sort of thing. We were the enemy and yet at midnight we are welcomed into a stranger's house, into a stranger's fridge by his wife in her dressing gown. What I want to say to you this morning is how many of you have ever welcomed a Christian brother or sister into your house at midnight in your dressing gown just because they are a Christian brother or sister? Okay, so the rugby... Somebody has. Yes, one person. Well done. So, the, uh, you know, I, I tell it as a kind of a joke. I, I remember a brilliant um, thing. You might have seen it in the BBC Sport this summer. So the British and Irish Lions were playing down in New Zealand. And a British Lions fan, his, uh, his accommodation fell through. And uh, so he's like in New Zealand. He's on his own. He hasn't got any accommodation. And this Kiwi woman says, oh, come and sleep on my sofa. And so he goes, and like, it wasn't inappropriate. I'm getting the idea that she was like his mother's sort of age. And so he, he goes along, and he sleeps on the sofa of this Kiwi mother who, t- who it turns out, has two sons in the all-blacks squad. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? If you go to the other side of the world, and you are a rugby fan or a rugby player, you will get welcomed into somebody's house You will get given somewhere to stay. You will have someone put their arm around you. When I first moved up to Glasgow, I turned up on a Wednesday. I trained with Glasgow Hawks on a Thursday. I played for them twice that weekend. I went out with them for a beer after the game. When I first moved to Ayr, we moved on a Sunday. I went training on a Tuesday and a Thursday. I played on a Saturday. And I was out with the guys on the Saturday night. I got welcomed immediately, straight away. No strings attached into this incredible community. I was watching a video online recently. Um, I'm just seeing if he's here, actually. He said he was going to, he's not here. Um, but there's a guy in the gym that I train in now, and he's ba- his life has been utterly transformed through through going to the gym and training. And, and they made a promotional video about him. The sport did, you know, not just our local gym, the, the kind of worldwide thing. I'm not going to say the name, because you'll all like say, oh, you're always talking about it. Um, but but the, the, the organization made a video about this guy, and I watched the video. And I thought, everything he is saying is what people should be saying of the local church. He said, I was not interested in lifting weights. I was not interested in doing fitness. But I went along to this place and this community rallied around me. I had people helping me out. I had coaches helping me out. I had guys messaging me if I wasn't there saying, is everything okay? Where are you? We've missed seeing you. I had people giving me advice on how to train, how to eat, how to live, how to sleep, what to drink. You know, everything, all of life was covered. And this guy is saying... This community has made just such an incredible difference in my life. And you can see it in who he is. He was, like, he was a guy who was taking coke. He was playing in band. It doesn't mean that if you play in a band, you take coke. But he, you know, he was all over the place. And he became a part of this community. And his life was turned around. And I'm going, that should be a video about the local church. And yet it isn't. And what I want to speak on this morning as we continue this I Am series, for those of you who are just visiting, it's not just American friends, hello. I'm not going to shout out your names, don't worry, but it's great to see some new faces again with us. You're so welcome here. Um, And I really hope that you'll feel that, not just because a guy from the front says it, but because you will genuinely be welcomed in this place but we're doing a little series at the moment and the series is called I am and the I am's that we're thinking about I'm going to look at you three because you've not been here for any of it sorry now everybody knows you're visiting Um the I am's that we're talking about isn't like I am of uh, God revealing himself as I am it isn't the I am sayings of Jesus it is some of the I am's that the Bible tells us about us Uh, It's some of the things that the Bible teaches us about who we are. And in in the first week, we talked about how I am created in the image of God. And one of the things... I'll stop looking at you now. (laughs) just feels like a personal room. Um, and, and one of the things that we thought about in the first week when we said, I am created in the image of God, is we said, as someone created in the image of God, all people, not just followers of Jesus, not just those, I, I, I listened back to the sermon this week, I said, not just those who are washed in the blood, not any of that sort of thing. Every single person made in the image of God, which is every single person, is made for community. And that's what I want us to think about this morning. Just kind of like unpack it a little bit more. I am made for community because I am made in the image of God. I am made for community. And what I want you each to do, and even just as I'm talking, even as we're just kind of introducing this, is to say, what is the best community that I've ever been a part of? Or what is the best community that I have ever witnessed in action? And I hope and I pray that for some of you it is the church But I would also hazard a guess that for many of you, it isn't the church. That for this church, and I don't just mean Southside here, but this church that is the um, lived out body of Jesus Christ in the world today, that is called, as Paul says, to be one, to show unity, to show community, is not actually a place where that often happens. And as I look around the world, as I look not only at the local church, but as we look at the world and as we look at our society, I think we see so many problems uh, that if the local church was to become the best community ever to be a part of, the transformation would be just utterly Incredible. We see problems around the world—a loneliness epidemic. You can, if you just Google kind of loneliness epidemic or something like that, you're going to come up with so many articles, articles by the NHS, articles in national newspapers. This isn't just like kind of a, a, a Christian pastor saying something and therefore it must be true. Of course, you know that I don't think that. And I'm, but it, this isn't just one of those sweeping preachers' statements. There is a loneliness epidemic in this land. Loneliness costs the NHS as much, if not more, than anything else. Now, how they actually work that out, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm guessing that that's people going and seeing their GPs. It's people checking into A&E when they don't need to. It's people who, because of loneliness, maybe eat too much or drink too much. You know, loneliness has real health implications beyond only mental health. Loneliness uh, is costing the NHS more than anything else. There is a loneliness epidemic. That is added to by the fact that we have an aging society. I remember when I was doing some pastoral visiting, that sounds so pastory, uh, I, was visiting, I was doing some working at um, Stop Hill Hospital in Glasgow, and I, visit, I was visiting in the geriatric ward, and it was such a sad place to be in so many ways, because the age of some of the people in there meant that, I, I visited one lady, she was in her late 90s. She had no other visitors because her own daughters, she had daughters, she had family, were so old that they couldn't get out of the house to visit her. So because we have this aging society, it opens up more and more. You know, It's absolutely incredible to see or to hear or to read figures of how many people don't have any human contact day by day, even week by week. We live in a world where... We don't only have this epidemic of loneliness, but we seem to see fracturing or breaking down of relationships. You you just have to look at the news this morning and and read about uh, North Korea doing this and them saying that and them saying that. And you're seeing this is not a world that lives in harmony. It was actually a non-Christian neighbor of mine who said, and that kind of sparked that, that prayer earlier as we watched some bomber yesterday rattling through the skies and said, imagine if that was flying over your village five times a day to bomb you. We, we, we have pictures of war and destruction all around us. It's not, fa- it's not fashionable on the news anymore, but we have migration, and re- not migration, sorry, we have refugees having to flee across seas and across uh, land because of these wars. They're, they're society, and that's before we even get to the fracturing in our own society that we see as a result of divorce and as we, that we see as a result of falling out. I mean, here in the west coast of Scotland, I think perhaps more than anything, we see it as a result of sport. Green or blue. Protestant or Catholic. We live in a fractured Society We live in a fractured world. And then the final kind of, well, there'll be many issues, but the final one that I was kind of thinking about as I prepared for this week was the fact that we live in such a me-focused time as well. So we have this loneliness epidemic. We have the breakdown and the fracturing of relationships globally and nationally and even in our own little family units. And then we have this me-centered ethos around so much of what we do we have this kind of i am at the center of my universe i am the one who decides what is right for me i am the one who makes decisions somebody said to me uh before my before emily was born only you will know how to bring up your children and i didn't say it to them because i'm sometimes too polite but i thought that's not true (laughs) that's not true in our dedication service here at Southside, we, all, we, we say it takes a village to raise a child. I do not know. Laura and Adrian do not know best how to raise their baby. Okay? They, they, they will know lots about it, and they will learn lots about it. Unfortunately, Emmanuel doesn't come with the baby, Adrian. I just have to let you know that. But they're going to be relying on Jamie and Georgie and Adrian's family, and they're going to be relying on us. It takes a village to raise a child. You are not the center of your world. Your way of doing things is not right just because you decide it is. And yet we live in this time that, that, that essentially says that is. Within certain parameters that at times seem to be getting less and less. But within certain parameters, you get to decide what is best. And that is the context, I believe, into which this truth that I am made for community. And this is the context into which the truth that the local church needs to reflect this community uh, is, is placed, is lived out, and within which we have this opportunity in the power of the Holy Spirit to model something that is so different, so much better. And the reason that it is so much better, of course, is because if we as a church can truly live like that, if we can live uh, in in light of that truth that I am made for community, at the very heart of it, it is great news for the world because it models God. Amen? If the church truly lived community, if the church truly did community, the great bit of news for the world is that the world would start to see Jesus through the church. And so often it doesn't, unfortunately. But if you you were to turn uh, early in your Bibles, you will read God saying, let us make... Man, let us make women, let us make them in our image. The Trinity is there, as I've said before from the beginning, just a little bit of kind of theology for you here. The Trinity is not just some kind of construct that was come up with years later. It is something that we read, uh, not explicitly, but that we see signs of throughout Scripture. Let us, says God, make humanity in our, says God, image, in our likeness. You are made like God, and you are made for community. And what does that God community look like? Well, it looks like a community of mutual love, of mutual service, of mutual self-giving. Before anything else was, God was. And I remember it was, it was Trinity Sunday that I spoke on this before. I didn't know it was Trinity Sunday except somebody texted me. And they, and, and they texted me and they said, You are caught up in the biggest hug triangle in all of space and at time and eternity. That's what God is. At his essence, before anything else, before sin came into the world and he had to react to that, before anything else, God is love. Mutual self-giving, mutual preferring, mutual service, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Imagine a church community, a local church community that radically embraced that. Imagine a local church community that didn't just serve when it worked out for me, that didn't just give when it works out for me, that didn't just love when it fits in with my busy life. And I know lives are busy, and I, I, you know I, you know I know the reality of trying to flesh this out. But imagine, imagine what it would be like if we truly gave ourselves to each other in the way that God gives Himself to Himself. <laughs> and to us, but starting off with giving himself to himself. And you might be thinking, well, you know, that's God and I'm not God. And, and that is absolutely true. We are not God. And yet the call of Scripture, I believe, to us is to try and become more like him in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in, uh, in 1 John 2 verse 6, I read this uh, a few weeks back and it just hit me like a bullet between the eyes. It says, um, how do you know? Hang on, let me just make sure I quote it absolutely right. It says... Um, If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. In other words, this is how we know that we are a follower of Jesus. Whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. Whoever claims to live in God, whoever claims to be a follower of Jesus must walk as Jesus did. And Jesus was the eternal word. Jesus was the the totally united God from the beginning. And so when he calls us to follow him, he doesn't just call us to follow him in our own little world, in our own uh, privatized existence. Yes, I stress this again, I stress it many times. Jesus is your God. He is my God. Thomas says, doesn't he, when Jesus appears to him, Thomas says, my Lord and my God. There is a personal relationship with Jesus. But as one writer puts it, when, when we say the words, Jesus is Lord, we are called into a new community. Community. We're called into community. As soon as you say those words, Jesus is my Lord, it's like actually they now become Jesus is our Lord. He is ours. We live this out. We work this out together in community. So we see uh, that in in, 1 John John 2 verse 6. We see Paul writing to the church at Corinth where I've just read from. And he says, imitate me or follow my example as I imitate or follow the example of Christ. Christ's example to us is of perfect unity and community within God. And so what Paul is saying, amongst other things, is just as God is united, just as God is one, so must the church be one. It's apparent, you know, I, I know I'm kind of paraphrasing it and fleshing it out, but, but that is what happened. If, if you work out the implications of what Paul is saying there, when he says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, the, the implication for us is that we have to grow as community. In Philippians 2 and verse 5, Paul exhorts the church at Philippi to have the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Once again, the implications of that are not simply that it's all about me and Jesus, it's all about me and God. It is that we model who Jesus is and Jesus in the Godhead is community. So we face this problem that so often we look at communities in the world and so often we might uh, find ourselves saying, well, what's the best community that I've ever witnessed or what's the best group of people that you could ever be part of? What's the best club that you could ever be a part of? And and, uh, And unfortunately, often the answer is not the local church. And then, and then we see the problem in the world, the fracturing, the loneliness, the sin, the, the displacement, the, the me at the center of everything when we are called into something that is not about me, I and me, it's about us and we. And so I have to ask myself, well, what is the solution to that? And all I want to do, just literally for a few minutes before we do something that is the greatest possible, or one of the greatest possible signs of community when we take communion together. And it's so brilliant that this is on the first Sunday of the month when we take communion in, in our 1115 gathering. But all I want to say is just a few little things that might help us as we seek to live this out, to flesh this out. And uh, the first one would simply be, This, that we need to make the local church a place of genuine community. We need to seek to make the local church a place of genuine community. At the Southside vision statement is reach out to all people, welcome into one family and transform every generation for Christ. And yet my, my kind of confession and, and something I speak about many times is that I don't think we do welcome into one family. We, we do welcome pretty well, you know, people who are who are new hopefully feel on a day, on any given Sunday that they come along, that they are welcomed quite well, and yet, one of the problems that I do hear about is that people uh, probably, yeah that folk would kind of relay to me is that they can be coming along here for a long time and still feel like they 're not part of it and still perhaps feel like they 're not part of the in crowd and the very fact that there might even be an in crowd is a problem, but we are called to genuine community, and that means all of us and if if this Church is too big to do genuine community. There is only one answer for us. And that is to... Make it into two churches or three churches or four or, or whatever it would happen to be. The community bit is the non-negotiable bit. The size of the gathering is the bit that we can play around with. The community bit, the the imaging God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that is the non-negotiable. And so what we need to be seeking to do and seeking creative ways of doing this is say, how can we grow as a community? You know, I was really tempted to, to pass some out, uh, envelopes around this morning and and they, had, they were only if you were willing to do it. And so if you weren't, then you just wouldn't have taken one. But really tempted to pass envelopes around. And there'd be a corresponding, there'd be two envelopes with the number one, two envelopes with the number two, two envelopes with the number three. And you would get an envelope. And if you took one, your commitment was that whoever was your corresponding number, you were going to meet up with them this week. Take them out for coffee. Uh, when we were down at Naturally Supernatural in the summer, there was a, there was a chat zone. And I, saw, and I looked at it on the, um, on the app, and I actually thought it was a dating zone. Because I thought, like, oh, this is like, for like, it's like a Christian speed dating thing. But it wasn't. It was actually you just signed up. And so I would, like, sign up to go. I didn't sign up because I thought it was a dating thing. Um, but I would have signed up, and I would have gone to it, and I would have been put on a table of five or six other people, and we would have just talked. And do you know what? It would have been really awkward to start off with. Okay? It would have been really, wouldn't it? You know, like, you might think that I'm an extrovert, but that petrifies me. Do you know what? The the thought of sitting at a table with five people, I don't know, I'd be like, that. oh, man, what if they don't like me, or what if I don't like, or or whatever it would happen to be. But they were were doing something really powerful. They were saying, uh, meet your family member meet your brother meet your sister you might never have met before but you've been brothers and sisters you've been community since the day you said Jesus is Lord and so what we need to be doing and I am open to ideas and and the leadership are open to ideas and you know, like who would have taken an envelope right i'm bringing them next week okay the envelopes are coming next week um and and, and but We need to be doing that sort of thing. We are family. We are community. And it is hard to grow as community. And it is hard to knit families together at times. And marriages take work, don't they? Marriages take work. Family takes work. It doesn't just happen. We need to seek to make the church a place of genuine community, not just mirroring the, the kind of veneer community that we so often see in the world around us. I love that phrase. I've used it before, but I'll say it again. We need to replace the seemingly real with the real. You could come into Southside. I believe, that, and I hope, and somebody contacted me the other day and said, would I be welcome at Southside and told me some things about themselves. And I said, I would be horrified if you were not welcome at Southside. But you could come in at Southside and have that Welcome on the surface. And I'm sure this is the case in many local churches, that welcome on the surface. But what happens when you scrape off the surface layer? We need to replace the seemingly real with genuine reality. So we need to make the church a place of genuine community. We need to work for community where it is fractured and split And and by that, I don't just mean in the church, but of course, we're going to be taking communion in a moment's time. And one of the things that Paul says is, you know, if if you know that there is something between uh, you and, no, Jesus says this, uh, you know, when he's talking about going and making a sacrifice, if you know that there is something between you and, and a brother, go and sort it out with them. Go and and get made right with them. So, of course, we need to work to fix relationships in the church where relationships have become strained or fractured or damaged or even broken. We need to work to try and fix them. Unfortunately, it doesn't always happen, but we are called to be reconcilers in the the image of God who is the great reconciler. But another way that we can uh, reflect this and live this out in this lonely, broken, and me-centered word is to work as reconcilers in the world I love when I, I was so fortunate to become a Christian down in Coventry um, and to be part of the community at Coventry Cathedral because Coventry, I think I've mentioned before, the cathedral at Coventry is a center of reconciliation in the world. And from there, it's where Canon Andrew White, the vicar of Baghdad, was a canon at Coventry Cathedral before he, way before he became the vicar of Baghdad. It's called the Community of the Cross of Nails. And I had the privilege as a, as a nine or ten-year-old of singing for the queen in, um, in Dresden On the 50th anniversary of the bombing of Dresden, which was a retaliatory bombing for the bombing of Coventry. And ever since then, Coventry has been a center of reconciliation. It gives me goosebumps just thinking about this. But the church of Jesus Christ, following in the image of God, following Jesus, is not just called to be a reconciled community within ourselves, but is called to be a community that reconciles out with these walls. So if you know... That there's an issue on your street. Have a street party. If you know that a bunch of folk don't get on. Have a barbecue and invite them all over. And like, you know just go and wait in the kitchen while they sort it out. But but, but no, seriously, you get people together, bring people together. It doesn't even have to be where there's like obvious um, disunity. It just actually has to be bringing folk in your street together. A couple of Christmases ago, we, we did a Christmas party in our house for our street and Karen put invitations through every door. And there were people who came in who had lived on Queen's Terrace for years and they had never spoken to each other. Okay, they hadn't, They didn't need reconciled in the fact in the sense that they had anger or anything between them, but they, need brought, they needed brought together because they were living next door to each other and they didn't know each other's names. We are called to be a reconciled community that reconciles and brings together community out with. And we are called to be a community. Final point here. We're called to be a community that brings the lonely in and welcomes them into a family. If this is a family, if this is God's family, then it will be a place in which the lonely find a home. You'll know the words so well, but Psalm 68 verse 6, David writes that God sets the lonely in families. I love that idea. I love that picture. It might not mean here and now in our Sunday gathering. It might not mean in a connect group. It might be that there's somebody who's lonely on your street who can't get out, and you're the one that God has placed there to go and see them. To go and visit the person in hospital who gets no other visitors. Who goes and helps a single mum out buys them a load of shopping. The new student in town, whoever it happens to be, God places the lonely in families. Not just a veneer, but something deep and real and lasting. I want to read a quote from a, um, a guy. He, he writes on uh, mission. Uh, he writes, is. If anybody wants to see the book, then just speak to me and I'll, I'll show it. I've not got it with me, but I'll bring it along. But he says this, The New Testament emphasizes that a local congregation is not merely a group or crowd of people who meet together for an hour or two each week. Rather, a congregation should be viewed as a federation of teams, people who support and encourage one another as they live out their faith commitment and minister to the people they are in contact with. Within the body of Christ, ministry and mission flow out of relationships. So much of what we do here doesn't set us up for relationships. You guys are all sat looking at me. That's just how we do it probably because it's always been done, but also space-wise and stuff. And we've, I've tried to play around with how many chairs could we fit here in a big circle and that sort of thing. But, you know, and you see that at other times in our communal life that we try and do things that deliberately say, do you know what? This is not about information partation from me to you. This is about us growing together as a community of Jesus followers. And I believe with all that I am, if we are to continue to grow in the mission of Christ, in in his ongoing mission, that we will only see that flourish insofar as we grow together as a community. Modeling Jesus. Modeling the Trinity. Making the church a place of genuine community. Being those reconcilers in our community and welcoming in, truly welcoming in all people. I want to leave you with this question and it's a question that I asked at the beginning of this series and when I listened back to my own sermon I actually thought it was quite a good question so I thought I would finish with it again this morning. What does radical kingdom community look like? And would we be willing to embrace it if we found out? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that You have called us into community. And we pray, Lord, that you would show us more of what that community looks like and how to live it out. In Jesus' name, amen.